Hey, yo, welcome to the first, first, first episode of Making Movies Podcast with myself, host Justin Baez, producer, film producer, and I also have with me my trusted producer of the podcast, assistant to 1982 Media Productions, my brother Osa. Osa's in the building. Uh, he's a little quiet right now, but he's around. You know, he's showing love. He's taking care of business. He's making sure we're doing everything we need to do. So if this is your first time tapping in with me, you know, I'll give you a little bit of insight what's going on. We also have the Homage podcast with me and myself and John Doe, Juan Doe, where we sit down and we talk with a bunch of interesting people in our lives and, you know, go through their journeys and find inspirations to share with everybody in their stories so that you can, you know, take that home and, and do something and hopefully impact your life and help you chase something that you got going on in your life. But this podcast here. It's something I've been working for my whole life. You know, I'm a, I'm a person that that's chasing dreams, right? You know, so I only want to make things happen that really, really matter to me and always been something that want to, you know, be something important. But I didn't know what that was. And I didn't do well in school. So, I mean, I'll give you more specific. I dropped out of school really early. I dropped out of school in ninth grade. I have a, a limited formal education. Been working full time since I was really young. I had my first child when I was really young. So I felt really old early on. And storytelling became a big part of my life, whether I knew it or not. Whether I intended it to or intended it to be that way, it's just how it turned out, yo. And movies is important to me. Television shows, documentary series, storytelling. I wasn't the biggest book guy growing up, but certain books and just, you know, hearing things, being around people, having experiences with people, those stories became the teacher that I didn't have when I was young, that I, that I just ran away from. And I had to learn from different ways. So, you know, this podcast, making movies podcast with myself is basically my journey that I'm going to share with you guys since I've launched an actual film company. I've been trying to make movies for a very long time. You know, I started off. So when I, all right, so I, I'll give you a little backtrack when I was young and um, I was uh, a teenager, I was working. I always said to my, you know, cause I, I dropped out of school. I wanted to work and ended up working, you know, full time from like 16, 17 on. And after I had Taylor, my oldest daughter at 19, you know, going on 20, I said to myself, if I ever do get a job that I love, because I was just working to work, if I ever get a job that I love and something that I care about, it's going to be in like one of these three or if not all three um, fields. So one was sports. Another was filmmaking. And the other was, you know, music in some regard. So when I was young, when I was a teenager, I used to DJ my best friend, Chuck. Shout out to Chuck and Wyo. Chuck was a DJ when we was little. He's older than us. So he had equipment first. He had his former apartment. So I wanted to DJ like him. But I also just wanted to be like a, a bootleg DJ Clue. 
So I would make mixtapes and so on and so forth. That wasn't really my thing. Tried it, didn't work out. So fast forward to a little older, you know, now I'm an older teenager. Now I'm a, a young man actually. And I wanted to work in sports. And this was like the iteration of social media. So I hooked up and I, I've told the story that I told the story when my brother, Anthony MSG on the Amish podcast, when we had him on and how I basically fell into sports journalism. Now I can't really spell. I didn't know I was dyslexic until later on in my life. So reading certain things was difficult, but I felt like I wanted to be a sports journalist because I know basketball and I know the Knicks. And I'll argue with whoever if you don't believe me, you know. So basically, I, I created a radio show, an online radio show. Then I kind of parlayed that into a sports writing credential situation. Tommy D got me some credentials. My man, Tommy D, you can go back on the Amish podcast and listen to that episode, Tommy's Journey. You know, he like broke at this whole fan blogger voice thing for your team that is so common now, but he got me actual credentials to cover Knicks games on the road. And that was something I tried and it didn't work out. It wasn't for me. I could get into it more depth later, but it just wasn't for me. The other thing I was like, you know, I want to be in filmmaking. I want to be in this world. And I didn't realize that my, you know, entry into this world would be through actually making clothes. So me and my boys, me and John Doe and another friend, we started one clothing brand. I tried to make t-shirts on my own. Tried to make t-shirts with family members just for the sake of making it. I wasn't trying to make a brand. But what happened is when I created my own brand since 1982, you know, I had a partner that I kind of just fell into having a partner, my man, Ed. And we had this one shirt that I made. I YouTube my way through Photoshop. And I made this one shirt with five albums from 1996. That was super important to me. And it kind of like told that story of what I'm telling you guys now about like my me dropping out of school, having to have alternative learning processes. So it was just a, a shirt that I honestly bit off of um, the brand Undercrown and they had the dynasty basketball shirts and I wanted to make dynasty rap album shirts. So I was inspired by it, but I'll keep it real. I just, you know, made my own version of it. I took these five albums from 96 that I thought was important, put it on a shirt that went viral before that was a term. So basically word of mouth in the street, people stopping you, people talking to you. And I realized that like I was connecting with people, excuse me, I was connecting with people through this shirt that were like-minded individuals. And it was telling my story in the process because immediately they would ask me or ask Ed or whoever else, one of our friends that we gave the shirt to, why these five albums? Why not this? Why not that? They wanted to know more. Why that year? And part of telling those, you know, part of answering that stuff is like telling my story. It's like telling who I am and what I'm about and why it's important to me. And I said, that's the storytelling piece that I've always wanted to have. 
Now, I'll, I'll go back even further. You know, I'm sitting in my now production office for 1982 Media. And behind me, I have a couple of movie posters, some other inspiration posters and, and artwork on the wall. And mainly one of the bigger ones is a picture of the movie Carlito's Way. And Carlito's Way is probably the most important film in my life. You know, it was the last thing me and my dad did before he passed away. He took me to the movies. I, I, I told this story on Instagram and I'll tell it all on life. I'll tell it if I write a book. I'll tell it if I'm on a guest on somebody else's podcast because it's important to me and it's the truth. And it's my, you know, it's part of who I am and it's always going to be part of who I am. My dad took me to see that movie at a second run theater in New Jersey because that's where him and that's where he was staying in West New York when him and my mom was split up. And um, a second run theater for you guys that don't know is way before Netflix, kind of even before Blockbuster a little bit, um, not before, but like during the era of Blockbuster, but before the movie got to the video store, it went from a major theater to a smaller theater then before it had lead time to get to that move to that video store so this was one year after Carlito's Way had released because it stayed in theater runs that long and went to a second theater it was cheaper so my dad took me it was kind of like a matinee almost afternoon showing um and if you ever seen Carlito's Way I don't want to spoil it but like you know it has some sad parts to it so at the end of the movie my dad uh, starts crying and he's tearing and I'm, I've never seen this man cry before. I'm 11 years old at the time, 12, going on 12 or whatever. And I never seen him cry. And I was moved by it. I was like, why is he sad? And then I realized that there was so many elements to that story that connected with him being Puerto Rican, the call, the, the, the character of Carlito Brigante being in, you know, Harlem. My father, you know, had part of his life in Harlem and just know he probably resonated with the characters and the people and the vibe and the era because it was in the 70s that's when he was a teenager and a young man and there was so many things that was just on par with who he was as a person and 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 Carlito's Way you know isn't a fantastic it's one of my favorite movies beyond the fact that it's an important movie to me you know I think Brian De Palma did an amazing job you know telling that story but giving you so many different pieces to one story, you know, highs, lows, funny, sad, happy, fun, you know, uh, scary, suspenseful. And my father, you know, it, from me just watching him while I'm watching the movie, I saw that he was experiencing all those feelings to the point that he did. Well, coincidentally, you know, I was staying with my father that whole, not the whole summer, but that whole August so this is August of 94 and I had to go back to school. I had, you know, school was going to start in September. So right before, you know, the 31st or the 30th or something like that, he brought me home, which is about two days later on that third day. He died. My father had a heart attack. That was like his third heart attack. He was young. He was only 41. He passed away. I was left with a lot of, you know, mixed emotions, confusion and questions, no answers. But what, stayed in the back of my mind stayed in my in my heart was this story why it was important to him why he was sad what he left me what i didn't realize is what he left me is a calling you know 
And he didn't even realize that, but he did. And and there was other things too. My father rented movies all the time. He didn't really know what to do with me. You know what I'm saying? When I was a kid like that, he wanted me to play ball, but he was kind of sick. So he would like make me watch movies. We watched all these movies at home. And Carlitos Way is what the movie that was the most important. So fast forward to the 96 draft shirt when we were making a brand. I didn't even know I was making a brand. I just knew I was making a shirt we made. The 96 draft, excuse me, the 96 Dynasty shirt for since 1982, the brand, and it connected with people. And I felt like that was sort of my Carlitos Way moment with the masses. You know, that was sort of my moment that he had with me, but I'm starting to have that with other people. And even Ed, who was like right there with me and we we're doing all of this together, he didn't really, he get it, he get it, but he don't really get it the way I get it because it's it means something so personal. But that was my understanding of, wow, I know what my dad felt. I know how to tell a story. I got to figure out how to harness that. And I want to be a part of that forever. So I used Carlito's Way and a whole shitload of other movies to become like my, my school. You know, I would buy films, study films on VHS, just watch it. And not like abstract films. I watched a lot of very popular movies. I wasn't, I'm not going to sit here and be like, I'm some, you know, cinematic, uh, you know, prophet when it comes to these films. I wasn't watching a million different movies by a million different directors. I just found what was really popular. And I said, let me find what I could, something dope within these films. And this is all while we're making the clothes. You know, I did this while I was a teenager and I did it all into my twenties. And just trying to find what could be my place in this in this f- storytelling film world. Now, around me in real life, you know, hip hop is happening. I'm from Yonkers, the area in Yonkers I'm from, the block, the, the three block radius had a lot of, you know, influential artists. Jadakiss lived there, Sheik lived there, DMX hung out there. You know, I went to, I was, I hung out with, you know, Mary J. Blige's little brother, one of my good friends, who we actually doing business with now. Shout out to my man, Bruce. And I was able to be around what I thought was celebrities, you know, and I still do. And I felt like they were stars. So I said, okay, if I could sort of weave my way through these people who I think are the most important people, maybe one day if I ever get the opportunity to tell stories with films or television or so on and so forth or whatever the medium is that's the strongest I have no problem dealing with talent because I navigate through these waters with these hip hop stars and they more important to me than anybody you know they tell them they, they're the voice for the people that I'm around and, and that I'm, I'm living so Joe Schmo A-list actor don't move don't scare me but I didn't know how to get to them and I, w- I didn't even really know what to do because I wasn't going to be a writer because remember, I can't really spell. I didn't want to act because I am i didn't think that was who I were was. I-, I wasn't that person. I couldn't take your words and tell your story for you. I-, I could only figure out a way how to tell a story that I deem important and find a way to put it together. But with the clothing success, Right. Because that shirt just sparked a whole brand that I wasn't even planning on making. I wasn't that wasn't part of my 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 goals. 
it, it's put me in a space of, wow, we just produced a shirt that was really dope. How do we keep that story going? How do we make another piece, another visual wearable piece of art that's part of our story, part of my story specifically and tell that? Well, that's what I was trying to figure out. So since 1982 became the, 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 the groundwork for that for me and in the mix of the brand growing, I said, I really want to learn how to be in this fucking entertainment world. I really want to learn how to be in this filmmaking world. But I didn't want to direct either because everything I read and, and, and understood was that it needed so much ultimate focus. And, and you had to be able to stay on task with one thing for so long. And I was like, I don't know if I have that ability. I don't know if that's a top skill set for me. And that's trial and error, right? Because when we were making the clothes, we had friends that had cameras. I had directed little quote unquote commercials for the clothing, whether it was for since, excuse me, whether it was for since 1982 or some kind of t-shirt or thing I was trying to do in the, you know, in the process of creating since 1982. So I realized that I'm not a great director. I can't. If I can't direct just one or two people well and put together these little things and these little props, how are we going to do it with a mega cast? I can't I can't hold my focus that long. So I said, OK, where do the players play? What are the what's the what's the power? How do you get to, you know, to tell these stories the right way and bring together these great parties to make it happen? I said, oh, producing. That's what the fuck producing is. That's what producing is. Right. You know, figuring out how to make something, figuring out how to, how to solve a problem, but also tell a story in the process. Then I just started researching famous producers and, you know, had some ideas of what was going on, but this is all during the, the, the clothing process. This is why we trying to make a clothing brand. So I said, okay, what's the road to producing? And I don't know. I don't live in Hollywood. I don't really have any Hollywood friends. This is before I became friends with Chris Huvane. Rest in peace to the great Chris Huvane. This is before I was like real close with him. Well, like right around the time I was about to get to know him. But still, you know, these are things you got to learn on your own. I didn't really have any, no, any kind of outlets or, or friendships in that world. So I said to myself, okay, a lot of these things you read just is telling me that the road to producing was through talent management. Okay. okay. All right. Let me try that then. All right, I've tried everything else. Let me just try that. But how do you go from not having any specific, um, you know, resume in that world to, to taking care of other people's careers? Well, find people that are like you that are trying to get on and trying to work on some and, I started with, uh, I wanted to learn how to recognize really dope writing. Remember, it's hard for me to read some things, but I understand what moves me. I'm not dumb. I can figure that apart out. So I found some scripts online. I found these forums that just had scripts. I think it was called simplyscripts.org or something like that. If I I'm, if I could get the website, I'll, I'll 
follow this up on another episode. It was simply, it was like something simply scripts or something like that. And it was just all these writers that would put their scripts up and it had the, it was listed by genres and types and so on and so forth. And I said, let me look for half hour comedies and thriller, you know, 90 minute films and so on and so forth. And I read all of these things and came across this hilarious TV pilot script, excuse me, called Balls Deep. And it's as ignorant as the title. And it was written by this guy named Matthew, this young guy in college named Matthew. I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. And I'll give you a little insight like of what it was about. I don't want to tell you too much because somebody might steal this idea. And then, you know, me and Matt got to jump you out. But it was basically two ex-porn stars leave the life, two male porn stars leave the life and get regular jobs working at a high school. And one of the students that one of the ex-porn stars now is a teacher that one of the students finds out what their past life was and starts blackmailing them. So you never really see them do porn or anything like that. It's really just about like their post life and what their past is haunting them with. But it is hilarious. So I ended up, you know, emailing the guy, the writer, because on the script, it had his his contact info because he was looking for it. He was looking for representation. So I email him. I'm like, yo, Matt, um, I'm Justin. uh, You know, I'm a talent manager. I'm, I'm looking to be a, a literary manager. I want to manage, you know, uh, writers. You look at a representation. He was like, well, shit. Yeah. You know, you think you could do something with it? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> you know? And I said, okay, great. Now that was cool. That was, that felt like a win. But what happened is I realized now what, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know anybody. And this is before LinkedIn.com. You didn't really know what development teams were. They were, this information wasn't privy to anybody. You know, I couldn't just find anybody. All you could Google was, now I'm really good with computers, right? You know, so I could, I could find my way through most things online. The situation was still very limited of, inf- of, of information regarding hierarchies within production companies, studios, you know, networks. But I just found a lot of the high end leadership and I started cold emailing a lot of them and nothing. And then I started cold calling of them and a lot of nothing. But lo and behold, if you stick with it and you stay going as hard as you can, some of them become open to you submitting because 99% of the people were just saying, you know, giving me this, we can't accept unsolicited email bullshit and so on and so forth. But what happened is the few Companies like HBO and and Netflix at the time, you know, when Netflix had just started, they let me submit it and they read the script and they thought it was hilarious. They had no intention of ever making it, <laughs> but they were like, okay, cool. You have good taste. We're open to letting you send us more stuff. So now I'm like, all right, great. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I understand that. I just tested myself and it worked. I saw that what I could do is identify something that's good, right? Because I had read so many and I was like, this is the one that's funny. This is the one that seems like it could be, it could work. 
the reason what I, I come to find out later is that they don't fucking know me. They don't know the writer. They, in the way the TV process works, you know, that writer becomes so important. He has to be entrusted. I have to be entrusted. The stu whatever studio we coming in with has to build that product. There's so many different layers of trust. <laughs> but they did let me submit the work. And that was a win. And then they did like it. And that was another win. And they were open to letting me submit more, which was another win. And that was the beginning of my entry point into doing entertainment style business and me learning on the job all the while while since 1982 is is growing and we're getting notoriety here and we're popping and, and we, you know we're running around doing things and um there's a million other things that i'm i'm involved in but you know that's what's what's the focal the, the focus so that was my first win matt was my first client. I went on to start. I, I got I got the itch now. Now I want to find more ways of how the business works, right? And who are the players and and how I can manage those talents and see what their jobs are and see how I can find them work because that's going to put me in a position to learn all these positions. This is my school because remember I don't do school traditionally, so I had to learn another way. You know. But this is the first episode. I'm going to give you some more insight into the whole story. You know, don't worry. 1982 Media is going to be an amazing company that's going to give dope stories. It's going to provide really valuable, entertaining content. And I hope you're here with me for the long haul because I intend to be. This, this podcast is going to be really fun. You know... I got the producer Osa with me. Sometimes we'll have some guests. Maybe I'll bring John Doe on here. We'll just shoot the shit about movies and talk about what we're doing and so on and so forth. I'm going to start giving you sneak peeks of the things that I have building right now. And then as we get closer and closer to announcements, I'll, I'll, I'll announce all those great things that's happening too. So I'm excited, man. I'm really excited. This is going to be so much fun. You know, thank you for coming on this journey with me. It's about to get even better and better. We're dropping episodes two times a week, Mondays and Fridays. We're releasing episodes. So I'm giving y'all more than enough content. Follow me on all socials. Follow me personally at JustSense82, J-U-S-T-S-I-N-C-E-82. And then also follow the Homage Podcast. Follow 1982 Media on all socials and follow making movies at Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, all the socials. All right. Peace. One love. Stick with me. It's going to be a dope ride, y'all. Later.